Lufau will take a shot downfield. And it is hauled in by Bryce Bulldog. What a one-handed catch. You remember that for your highlight show tonight. Proof pass to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Sun Devils one and three. Here comes pressure in the face of Wiggins. He got hit. He got sacked on the 20 yard line. And that one's a no doubter for Jimmy Gilbert. Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Punter to beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown. Newfell. Locked and one to the end zone. Cut. Touchdown, Shea Fields. Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster-Tiger, publisher of buffstampede.com with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Turkey week. How you doing, Tyler? Awesome. I actually talked about this in the other pod. If you don't like turkey, your mom's not good at cooking. It's a hot take for you. Love turkey. Gotta cook it right, though. Right. It's really easy to dry out turkey. Yeah. And that's where the, the problem comes in there for some people. Well, Colorado's improvement from a 1-8 conference mark in 2015 to it'll either be an 8-1 or 7-2 Pac-12 record this season marks the biggest one-year improvement in modern conference history. As John Wilner, who did the research, uh, he said uh, a four-game year-over-year improvement is terrific and five is sensational, but a six- or seven-game leap, astonishing. Yeah, I don't know what modern conference history means, but... He looked at it post-World War II. Okay, yeah, that actually makes Basically sense. Basically when uh, the, the conference moved to eight teams is how far he right. looked back to. Okay. Yeah, so I saw, because the last time I saw, so Stanford in 1939 and 1940 went from 0-6-1 to 7-0. So that's the, the best improvement ever in Pac-12 or whatever you want to call conference history, which is a six-and-a-half game improvement. So if we win this game, we will have the greatest single conference improvement of all time. And I would be surprised if that ever got broken. It would be hard to convince me that someone would go from 0-4 to 8-1 or 1-perfect to perfect in a year. It's unbelievable. I mean, you think about what we've done, how close we truly were. Looking back on it, we've been saying it for years and truly believing it. And now to see it come to this point, it's just crazy. It's hard. I still don't really have the right words to describe it. We've got a pretty jam-packed show here. We're going to get into a lot of different football topics to lead off the show. I've got an interview with Jay McIntyre coming off a career football game. Tyler, with your Pac-12 Power Rankings, we'll update those. The Buff Stampede Mailbag, we got a ton of questions this week. And uh, before we sign off, we'll get into some basketball talk uh, for you hoops heads out there. Colorado football up to number nine in, it's kind of a consensus at this point, the AP poll, the coaches poll, and the college football rankings. I think, Tyler, you could make an argument CU should be ranked ahead of Penn State, uh, a program that ranks 23rd in the country in overall team efficiency, whereas the Buffs are number eight. And then you look at the, the strength of record rankings on ESPN, CU's fifth in that, three spots ahead of the Nittany Lions. Uh, I talked to Brian Howell, who's an AP voter, and he said he actually had Penn State ahead because 
they have a more impressive win on their resume, and so that's the reasoning. Uh, but again, I think you can make a case so you could be eight. I think that's probably about as far as you could go. Yeah, I mean, I think the difference between seven and ten right now is extremely minimal. Um, I, the, the one team that I would honestly make a case that we could be ahead of right now is Oklahoma. So it's all just depends on your personal preference, I suppose. Um, yeah, I would actually agree with Brian. I think that the Ohio State win is what separates them from a lot of those groups in the 7-10 to 10 range right now. Even Wisconsin at 6, their best win right now is Nebraska. Um, so I think that's what the, the one factor of Penn State's resume that kind of has them, they kind of separate themselves a little bit for me because of that Ohio State win for now. Aside from winning out, what has to happen for the Buffs to sneak into the playoffs? As crazy as this topic seems, it's, it's, a, it's a reality now. It really is. Uh, there's a lot of ways that it could happen. Um, I can't really deter- figure out what makes the most sense in terms of the Big Ten. That's, that's the one issue for me. There's four teams that are possibly, possibly getting in there. Um, Clearly you want Wisconsin to lose. Right, yeah, but uh, it depends on who they play as well. Um, I think Michigan is probably better for us, but I keep going back and forth on this. A Michigan win takes out Ohio State, which then minimizes that uh, Penn State win over Ohio State, kind of sends them back to the pack in terms of what they've done there. I think that's what kind of separates it for me in terms of uh, Michigan also beating us. Uh, I will say that if they lose two out of their last three and their quarterback is hurt, there's going to be a lot of yelling that they don't deserve to be there, and I understand that. But I think it also hurts our resume because we lost them, even though it was in a different situation. Obviously, our quarterback got hurt. Their quarterback was healthy, et cetera, et cetera. Clemson um, losing, of course, would be Yeah, big. Clemson is huge for sure to lose. Um, and then, obviously, of course, we need to beat Washington. So we need to win the Pac-12 to even really give ourselves a shot. But, yeah, there's, I think there's just got to be a lot of mayhem. A couple teams need to lose that you don't expect. I think the one team that's out of the picture that could affect things more than people have talked about so far for me is Nebraska. Uh, they play Iowa at Iowa. If They're sitting at 16 in the rankings right now and are probably way too high. I think most people kind of just think that they're maybe a borderline top 25 team at this point. If they lose, they probably fall out of the rankings and then all of a sudden Wisconsin's best win is no longer ranked in the top 25. Ohio State, that's one of their best wins as well, absolutely destroying Nebraska. So I think Nebraska losing to Iowa could actually punish uh, a bunch of people's resumes, and that would actually help out Michigan as well because that's currently their lone loss. So I I think that's kind of a game in the Big Ten for people to watch that could have caused some shakeup. And the bottom line is if you win out, worst-case scenario is you're going to play in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, it could be a lot worse (laughs) for sure. Yeah, I mean – We'll see how this year plays out. I think this could be the final push to get 18 playoffs. And if they do that, I think the best way to handle that is to get rid of conference championship games because they no longer really matter. Um, you either have a team that wins outright or you have two teams or maybe even three that tie. And all you would assume that all three of those teams would then be in consideration for those eight spots and it would play itself out, you know. Um, so I think that's the best direction long term. I will say, though, that Whoever ends up getting that fourth spot, I mean, the odds are not great that you're going to beat Alabama. So at the end of the day, again, all these teams are going to have two losses. Can't complain about being left out. You lost multiple times out of a 12-game schedule. You allowed the you allowed the committee to determine you weren't good enough to get in. Simple as that. 
I believe the current arrangement with the 14 playoff goes through 2020. Don't quote me on that. I think it's something like that. So it wouldn't be anything that if they did change it that would be implemented anytime soon. Mm -hmm. The argument against that has always been that it devalues the regular season. On the other hand, I always think of it, 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 it emphasizes it in the sense that there's more meaningful regular season games in November if you have an 18 playoff, which would be, I think, more important than any devaluing of, of regular season games. Yeah, and I would also argue that if you did eliminate the conference championship games, it would add some value to the regular season as well. Um, you know, if you win the conference at 8-1, uh, you don't have to play in a conference championship game. Though All of those conference games become more important. Well, here we are talking about the college football playoffs in relation to the Buffaloes in November. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Ryan Konigsberg posed a, an interesting question to us. We were at the Blake Street Tavern. Actually, I was there with uh, William Gardner doing our Jake Moretti uh, film room feature, and Ryan was down there doing their podcast. And he said one of the topics they had on their show was whether they would prefer the college football playoffs or the Rose Bowl. Clearly, as a football team, you have to shoot for the stars and, and, and strive to make that playoff. But as a fan, as, as a media member, I mean, this is, this is a conversation to have because Frankly, the Rose Bowl is a really fun experience if you've never been there. Um, and there's always that thought you could get matched up against Alabama in, in the first round of the playoffs. And no one wants to you know, see a, a, a repeat of 70-3. to I don't think that would happen, honestly. I think this defense is too good. I think we'd be able to move the ball to some degree. I actually hate the question. Um, but I guess <laughs> it just depends on your mentality. Like I told Ryan the same thing. We talked about it on, our, on the free ball and pot as well. It's always the playoffs. You always take your chance. I mean, you're you're literally telling me you would choose not to take a shot at winning a national championship, even if it's 0.1 percent. What is someone going to crush us for losing to Alabama? No one seems to be crushing USC, who has three losses, and a lot of people are arguing should be in the playoffs right now, uh, despite losing by 55 or whatever it was to Alabama. No one's going to crucify you for getting smacked by Alabama. There are a lot of teams that would get smacked. You have to take your shot, your shot. And what if you, what if you don't even win, but it's a close game, and like comes down to the last few drives, and it's like, wow, Colorado went from one and eight in Pac-12 play to competing with Alabama in a in a chance to win a national championship. Like, there could be a positive storyline as well. I don't see any reason why you'd want to avoid that scenario. No, the the question more so from my end is not what the team needs to be striving for. It's it's you as as our fan correspondent, Tyler. What would you rather go to a college football playoff game knowing that they could get blown out, or would you rather go to a Rose Bowl and, and Couldn't immerse they get yourself in the Rose Bowl too? What's that? They could get blown out in the Rose Bowl. I mean, you never know how okay. it's going to go. You take a chance at a national title as a fan. I don't see why you couldn't. People are like, yes, the Rose Bowl is supposed to be awesome, but I would imagine that going to the college football playoffs is pretty awesome as well. I, I, to me, it's just not, it's not even a question. Playoffs. Okay. Well, I want to cover a Rose Bowl. Good. So, so deal with it. Yeah, well, I mean, fine. But there are other years for that. <laughs> <laughs> Seth Alufau named the National Player of the Week by CBS Sports, and he becomes the first player in the Pac-12 to earn Conference Offensive Player of the Week honors twice. After uh, It was kind of a rough two-week stretch there for Sefo against Stanford and UCLA, but he's uh, clearly gotten back on track. He's, he's now number four in the conference and passing efficiency, one spot ahead of Davis Webb. We'll get into him a little bit <laughs> later in this podcast. 40 rushing attempts for Sefo the last two games, seven touchdowns, one turnover. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, it's, we, we're two weeks removed from having a lot of people in the media suggest that Sefo shouldn't be starting anymore, and people in the fan base as well. Uh, he was really struggling in those two games. 
and two weeks later he has a Heisman vote. So a second, a yeah, second, second place. place. Yeah. Well, fine. I mean, it's <laughs> it's just crazy. Life comes at you fast in football, man. Uh, it was an unbelievable game, though. I mean, that Washington State game. Just complete domination in the second half. And I think what really separated is we've dominated a lot of teams this year. In that stadium, every single person in the stadium could see that Washington State was a really good football team. And they were still getting worked over. That's I think that was kind of the first time I watched CU this year. and I, I didn't question whether or not we were a top 10, top 15 team. I knew we were a top 10, top 15 team. And Nick Fisher named the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week. He had played 39 defensive snaps before getting thrown into the mix. Uh, what a special performance there. And this, again, highlights how far this program's come along. Oh, from yeah. a talent standpoint, mm-hmm. Nick Fisher is starting from day one, three, four years ago. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he struggled at the beginning of the game, too, which I think so, you know, he talked about being nervous, so you could kind of figure out what he was going through there. But a couple huge plays. And uh, it starts to make you feel good about next year, too, because they're like, oh, our secondary depth, who knows? You get guys playing time. It always seems like eventually they figure it out and are at least competent. Nick Fisher was tremendous in that game against an offense that's really potent and has a lot of weapons. Uh, it was really great to see. There were a lot of game balls you could hit out on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Keller Witherspoon was playing out of his mind yeah, again. Always. I just feel like he's the most underrated player in college football right now. Nobody talks about him. Cheeto's awesome, and he gets a lot of the credit that he that um, is due for him. He makes obviously more big time hits and uh, that kind of stuff. He's kind of more all over the field, and Mikello gets kind of lost in the shuffle because he just never gives up completion. So no one ever talks about him on the field. But I, I would not be surprised if people watched his game tape come this NFL season or just like, who is this kid? Why didn't we know about him earlier? He's, his ball skills are unbelievable. Not a lot of picks, but he's. Always right on the defender, always seems to make the play. He's an incredible year. We were talking about this a little bit before the podcast. Falk is a really, really good quarterback. His stat line didn't reflect it, but there were some throws he made in that game that made you go, okay, this is a future NFL quarterback. Yeah, I've never been so impressed by an under 50% completion percentage performance in my entire life. The kid's accuracy is just incredible. Hit several deep throws that nobody else... I mean, if he was off two inches, it wouldn't have been a completion. It says a lot about our defense as well, that he had to be that precise in order to get anything offensively. Um, and he threw for 325 yards, which seems like he had a huge game, but he also threw for like 60 attempts or something, right? 50 attempts? If Washington's receivers could catch some of those balls, he'd yeah, have over 400 yards. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was – he's an NFL guy. It's got to be. Uh, he was terrific. He really impressed me. I think Sam Darnold will probably develop into a maybe a better quarterback down the road. Yeah. But, I mean, they've seen a couple true NFL guys now uh, mm-hmm. in the last m- month and a half or so. <laughs> now we're heading into this Utah game. Obviously, if Colorado wins it, they win the Pac-12 South title. Check out our video preview. We're going to go more in-depth on this football game than we are here on the podcast. It's expected to be a sellout by the time kickoff comes, which is uh, – Pretty exciting news that th- this fan base has kind of rallied around this team finally. Definitely. Uh, we're here. We're sp- expecting to hear t- tonight or tomorrow that the game is sold out. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. There's a lot of only expensive tickets are left, so it wouldn't surprise me if they ended up a few short just because you know, you're running out of people who can afford $225 seats yeah. in the game. But um, there's going to be a ton of people there. Uh, from what I've heard, there's a ton of students coming back as well. Uh, so hopefully they sold some of those student section teats, and there's actually like way too many people in the stadium. That would be awesome. Standing room only, running around. 
I thought the crowd for the Washington State game was terrific, despite the student attendance being low, filled in that section of the bowl over there, really loud, involved in the game. It was a great experience. Rick George says you have to wait one minute per uh, Pac-12 rules to rush the field. Awesome. Do you just sit there and start your timer on your phone, hit that one minute, and then rush the field? I think it would be, awkward. be pretty cool if they threw up some graphic on the video screen, uh, counting it down. I mean, here's the, people are going to pay this again, all oh, you rushing the field against a lesser opponent or whatnot. Not now, in this case. Yes, you're, you're, you're yeah, won the, you yeah. won the Pac-12 South Conference and had the greatest year-to-year improvement in the history of the conference. And I would say there probably aren't more than a handful of seven-game conference improvements throughout the entire country, let alone the Pac-12. So, uh, yeah, there's never been a time to rush the field more than this one. But $50,000 is a good chunk of change. That could go to something important. You can wait 60 seconds. You've waited, what, 12 years Many for us years, to win the yeah. division. So so you stop Joe Williams and you win this football game handily. Is, is it that simple? For me, it is. Uh, with the, the slight addition of we have to protect Cephal on the other end of the ball, um, they cannot successfully pass on us. I, don't, I honestly believe that. If you get them into third and long, uh, they're going to be in a world of trouble. Just like every, I've said this every week, I feel like that's how confident I am in our secondary. Uh, Joe Williams is going to have some success, but we've always been that bend, don't break mentality. We don't make a ton of plays in the backfield. You're just going to have to slow him down at some point along the drive, getting to one or two third and longs per drive. 50% of the time, they're not going to get it. They're going to have to punt. That's how I feel about it. If you can get them into third and long twice per drive, they won't score a ton of points. Joe Williams had 187 yards uh, against the Buffaloes on the ground last year. And this year, since coming out of retirement, he's rushed for nearly 1,100 yards on just 158 attempts. That's seven-yard average. Only two rushers nationally have carried the football more than 150 times this season and have a better yards per carry average. So pretty elite guy there. But last year when he went for 187, there was no Josh Tupo there clogging up the middle. And certainly we've seen further development out of guys defensively. So it's a different defense than what he did that against last year. Yeah, and I fully expect us to stack the box and force him to beat us in other ways. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get bigger. You might see actually some more Nick Fisher um, in this game, just trying to get bigger at key positions. Afo, obviously, I think you're going to try to take him out of coverage as much as possible to stop the run as well. They're going to use a ton of guys to throw at him. So Jared Coe, left guard, is going to be out again this week. Jonathan Hutkins actually uh, filled in for him in the last game, did pretty well. Brian Muller, it sounds like he's most likely expected back in this game. He's done well with the, the uh, concussion protocol that they have. Bryce Bobo, McIntyre says it's going to be a game-time decision. I would honestly be pretty surprised if he plays in this game, given kind of the severity of that ankle, ankle injury from last week. So, again, KB Anento, he's going to have to step up. Yeah, Jay McIntyre as well saw a ton of third-down snaps and had a huge week. Uh, KB is capable, too. I honestly, Bryce Bowl was important to what we do, but we've got a lot of guys that can come in and make plays. KBN did have a drop or two, but, mm-hmm. I mean, he also has shown flashes this year that, that he's pretty Definitely. capable. Yeah, and he had a cat, you know, a few catches as well. Plus, he's a great blocker. I think that's something that we don't talk about a lot as well from the wide receivers. Um, he's he's sprung a couple of huge plays, so I think he'll be fine. Tyler, do you hear those violins playing right now? <laughs> yes, sir. Davis Webb, our friend, our good buddy. So sad. He's not going to play in a bowl game this year, Tyler. Ah, poor guy. And sarcasm. Davis, what do you think your draft stock would look like if you were playing on a top 10 team? Better be higher. It's, it's not sad at all to you, Tyler? No, I think it's glorious. <laughs> So, Davis did Davis, right? 
Yeah. He wanted to improve his draft stock. Didn't really care how it came about. If you're Cal, you got to maybe regret this a little bit. You could have developed a younger quarterback. If you're not going to a bowl game. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It depends on who's behind him. Maybe they would have won zero games without Davis Webb. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, he goes there trying to improve his draft stock. It sounds like he has a chance to get drafted. But yeah, I've saw enough of Davis Webb this season. And he does some things really well. Running that tempo. Uh, hitting guys, especially checkdown guys, in stride, kind of taking what the defense gives them. But honestly, any pass he made over 10 yards, it's pretty much a crapshoot. It's he's not consistent enough as a passer to make the NFL. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I've talked enough about Davis Webb for one podcast, though. <laughs> you, you know what's what's funny about this, Tyler, is that last Saturday after Cal loss, and I was thinking, okay, let's let's work this into the show a little bit. I went back to our uh, our last podcast talking about Davis Webb, and I was going to pull out a couple sound bites that would just make us kind of cringe and laugh about, kind of in hindsight of how ridiculous and how much we overreacted to that whole saga. And actually, we were at that point, everyone was so frustrated with that kid that there weren't any of those sound bites to pull. It was at that point, it was all about okay, we're hearing positive reports about Cephal Lufau's recovery. Let's talk about that more so. Yeah, honestly, as soon as we found out Cephal was going to play, I wasn't really that beat up about it at all. So I, I would, I kind of feel like I know what I said back then as well. And it's kind of played out the way we thought a little bit. I mean, obviously the team is a lot better, but we knew Cephal, if he stayed healthy, would be competent. And at the very worst, he's certainly been that. I do feel like an idiot, though. I remember doing some uh, radio interviews back then and making the statement that Davis... Webb coming to Boulder or not is the difference between them being a bowl game or not. And certainly, uh, well, if wish you I hadn't I mean, said if that it, now. If it, if it, it could just be between five and six games, you know. I mean, we're 9-2, and two, but you could still look back at the schedule and say, like, wow, that Stanford game was really close. That Oregon game was really close. It's crazy how in football, a play or two can really affect how you feel about a season. Well, it, it almost seems like this happened more than a week ago. And Tyler... If I remember right on our show last week, I, I hinted at this. Yes. And you didn't you didn't want to buy into mm-hmm. it. That's correct. Jake Moretti flips from Ohio State to Colorado. <laughs> you just have no faith in me, Tyler. No, it has nothing to do with you. It's just um, I've been beaten down over the years, man. I like, I like to make sure it happens before I get too excited. But I got pretty excited when it did happen. Uh, we'll see how he recovers from the knee injury, but man, his body type, how he looks on film, he could definitely start as a true freshman. Yeah. It's funny is, obviously no high school senior is a finished product, especially an offensive lineman, but you can't get anybody that has worked with that kid, that knows that kid really well, to say one bad thing about him. Usually there's, well, you know, he can do this, that, and the other. Jake Moretti, it's just like, well, he's got to get healthy with that knee, and that's basically what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah, and we'll see how his athleticism comes back. I mean, it's kind of – I hate to compare him to Ryan Miller because people thought Ryan Miller wasn't as good as he was supposed to be, but the knock on him ended up being he's not athletic enough. And Jake Moretti, if he comes back from the knee injury, will not have that issue. So uh, he has a chance to be really, really special. Um, healthy, I think he would be a borderline five-star. I think so, yeah. He was just going into that camp season. He was going to be competing at the opening. And right now, after that knee injury, he's right outside the top 100. I feel pretty confident. If he goes out to the opening, he's a top 100 guy right now if he doesn't have that knee injury. Yeah, I mean, he's actually not on scout right now. That's the only site that they don't have him in the top 100 currently, I believe. 
but yeah, I mean, I think. Are you sure about that? Because I know that Rivals actually has him rated in, in state behind Dylan McCaffrey. Which, no offense to Dylan McCaffrey, but that's um, wrong. That's flat out. Wrong. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I'm pretty sure we Scouts 103 Rivals he's in the 80s. Okay, so they have Dylan McCaffrey really high. Really high yeah. Okay. And then um, I want to say 247 has him somewhere in the 40s. So Moretti is really high um, on one of the sites. But Hold me to this. Jake Moretti will have a better career as an offensive lineman than Dylan McCaffrey was a quarterback in college. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I could buy that. But I will say the odds are stacked in your favor as a lineman, too. There's five positions. I and mean, there's only so many quarterbacks that play. Plus, you're, Dylan McCaffrey's at Michigan. I mean, but there are other dudes that can ball there as well. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, there was some drama that uh, was created as a result of the Denver Post breaking that story. What, what were your thoughts on that, Tyler? Oh, you know what my thoughts are on that. Well, share them. Do it, I mean. I just hope I don't run into Mark Kislow in public. Because I'm supposed to be classy and say all the right things. And guarantee you that will not happen if I run into Mark Kislow in public. What's not my favorite guy? What was lost by those Denver Post guys was my, was my point here. Okay, first off, my thought is you allow a 17-, 18-year-old kid to have that moment and announce on his own terms. You write up the story. You have it all ready to go. The second he announces, you release it. People know that you knew. You let the kid announce. Win-win. If you don't agree with me there, that's fine. That's fine. You can have that thought process. But the backlash is not worth it at the end of the day. Yeah, I would honestly say, like, even if you don't agree with that's how it should be done, that's how it's done. So do it that way. I mean, if you if you want if you don't want backlash for completely doing the opposite of what is done in recruiting coverage, like what are you doing? Just you can't. Oh, oh, this is how we do things normally on a sports story. Yeah, but that's not the same thing. This is how we do things here. On every single level, the fans were pissed off. The other writers were pissed off. His trainer was pissed off, and he was pissed off. off. Yeah, Cheverini even had a comment about it on Twitter. If you have pissed off all of those people involved in the process, you probably did something wrong. And you could say, well, Adam, why are you calling it out? Well, Jake Moretti won't talk to the media now because they did that. I would have loved to have a a, a nice lengthy interview with Jake Moretti, but the family was too upset with how it was released. that No one else gets to talk to the kid now as a result of that. Yeah, so, I mean, hopefully it was worth it to him. And, you know, the Denver Post has had a tough reputation amongst CU fans in the past, and it's just going to get worse now. I mean, the guy never even came out and apologized. His editor came out and went after you as well. Mark Kisler came out and went after you. They're just doubling down on being terrible at their jobs. So congratulations, I suppose. And you saw the video from Matt McChesney uh, bashing them for the way they handled it. Matt McChesney works with most of the top guys in the state. And if he doesn't, he still has a relationship with them. He hosts the All Colorado Award Ceremony in his building every year. That's not somebody you want to upset. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty easy to upset him. I feel like he doesn't hold that many grudges. He was talking about actually being fond of Kisla in parts of that as well, but I find that hard to imagine. (laughs) But I will say that Nick Cosmitter, uh, Cosmitter, uh, he's been covering the Buffs this fall, and he's done a really good job writing. He's a really insightful guy. You know, he some guys. It's kind of for the Denver Post. It's kind of this like drive-by thing when they go to see you. It's like, yeah, I'll do a story just to kind of do a story. 
but Nick has actually immersed himself into the program and, and tried to really get to know the team, and he's done a really good job there. I've been impressed with that. And uh, I think we have another question about Kisla later, but we should probably stop talking about this because people will actually want to hear us talk about actual football. And uh, there's another recruiting note to make here. Walker Culver, 6'5", 250-pound guy from Tennessee, from the class of 2018, becomes the Buffalo's second pledge for next recruiting cycle, joining Ray Robinson, of course, from Highlands Ranch. This is a. Uh, have you watched this film, Tyler? Yeah, a little bit. Love his athleticism. Kind right. of a similar tackle prospect to the guys that we've seen in the past that we like. Someone that they think can grow into be. It seems like we go after that Nate Solder type often. It's like someone who's kind of a tweener between tight end, has a ton of athleticism, you get some weight on them, and then all of a sudden they're in the NFL. It's worked out well for us. We've sent a ton of tackles in the NFL despite being terrible throughout the last 10 years. So um, I think you just kind of have to trust the process here that they know what's going on. Looks like a talented player. He's got an SEC offer. Yes, it is Vanderbilt, but it's pretty it's early, super early, early long in the process. process. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you talk about the other teams that were giving him interest. Uh, he was going to be a guy who has 10 to 12 offers in the summer. Yeah, and uh, Clayton Adams got a chance to work with him last summer um, in, in June, and so you like you like to hear that. Um, you don't necessarily want to make Tennessee a, a major recruiting brown, no, brown yeah. but um, it's it's a good get there for 2018. You are, I think, and you've seen this a little bit early on, you're going to have to turn some kids away. It's it's a good problem to have now as a staff. Yeah, you don't want to have buyer's remorse. Especially as 18. I, that's why I don't, I don't understand how Ohio State and Alabama and all this stuff do this because you don't know who's leaving for the draft. You don't know who gets hurt, kids transfer. Um, you don't know who you're going to finish your 2017 class with. I mean, we can't take any 2018 wide receivers right now simply because we're really full at that position now. We don't know how many spots we're going to have. Um, it's going to be similar, you know, if we miss a couple guys we like in 2017, you, all of a sudden that opens up a spot in 2018. It's hard to get too far along in the 2018 process. you got to take guys that no matter how many guys we have at the position, this dude is coming to see you and he's a big-time player. Those are the kids that you have to take at this point. All right, now let's get into my interview with sophomore slot receiver Jay McIntyre. Career highs and catches, yards, and first downs gained in that last game. You had the, the touchdown the week before against Arizona. What's this been like for you? It's been really fun. Uh, there for a second after the concussion and all that, it took me a little bit to get back in the offense and uh, get my confidence back a little bit. Uh, and uh, Arizona, I just went the mindset, play free, have fun, and uh, been doing that ever since. And it's been it's been a good ride so far, but uh, got to keep it up the uh, next couple games. Did you kind of... Obviously, you want to make plays any game, but when Bryce Bobo went down, obviously you don't play the same position. Did you, as a receivers group, kind of feel like you needed to pick it up with him not out there? I mean, Bryce brings so much to the table when he's out there, and as a receiving court, I mean, each of us are able to make plays. But we, we had trust in Kavion to go in there and make plays, and, you know, when our number's called, you just got to make them, and that's what happened. My number was called more than it has been in the past games, and uh, I knew that to win a big game like that, I was going to have to make those, and I did, and it was really fun. You mentioned the concussion. Was that kind of a scary deal? Kind of walk us through your recovery from that. It was scary. I've had I've had a concussion in high school and a slight one last year, but I, it wasn't too bad to where like I was scared to come back out here and play. It was just to the point where like it, it took a couple of days off. It, it wasn't my best game when I got the concussion, and you know just all that stuff combined um, um, really took a toll on me. But you know at the end of the day, I just took my, put my trust in the Lord's plan for myself and. Uh, 
And when you do that, uh, you know that there's a plan and you just keep moving forward each day. With Isaiah Oliver kind of taking over in that punt returning role, have you given him any advice, anything that you said to him? Oh, we catch punts together all the time. He's doing a great job back there. Uh, he took one to the house against UCLA. I was pumped about it. Um, but, yeah, we, we share uh, thoughts about, uh, like, how our punters punt or, like, how their, their punter is going to punt. And uh, he's doing a really good job and proud of him. We got a little glimpse into the receivers' meeting room uh, on one of the Pac-12 Network shows. Seems like you guys kind of have fun in that that room. Oh yeah, Chev Chev lets us have fun, but at the same time, uh, we got to be uh, focused, and that's that's what he preaches. For winning, we can have fun, but you got to always stay focused. And he told us that from the beginning when he was here. Uh, so he's hard at us. He's still hard on us all the time, but uh, you know we can we like to joke around in there because. Uh, when we play loose, we feel like we play the best. And if we're loose and focused at the same time, then uh, we, we do good things. What, uh, what has Coach Cheverini helped with you specifically? Are there certain things he's really helped to you kind of evolve your game with uh, since he got here? I think it's just his confidence in uh, me and confidence in everyone else around, like all the receivers. Uh, he's always the one snap and clear guy. Uh, you mess up, who cares? Go next play. And I think that's helped me because uh, I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself in the past, and uh, Cheverini kind of brought that uh, mindset to that uh, who cares if I mess up? Uh, next play, uh, you're going to make a play down the down the down the road in the game after you mess up to win the game. So uh, that's the, really just the confidence level is higher with him, and I think he brings that to the table with all our receivers. Seems like your blocking's improved quite a bit. Have you felt like that, you know, out there on the field? I, I mean, I think it's improved a lot from last year. Uh, I've, I still got to get better in areas. It's hard to block all those backers sometimes, but I think it's just a mindset just to go in there, like one play, one play, one snap and clear. You know, let's make this block and then let's move on to the next. And if you miss the block, then move on to the next. Not, don't dwell on it and just keep moving forward. And Chev's, we have that blocking board in there, and uh, I don't really have all that many knockdowns, but as long as I do my job and uh, we watch all the blocks on film after the game and. If I, I want to I be proud of myself, not only on the routes and the catches, but also on the blocking. So, A lot riding on this Saturday's game. It's senior day. Obviously, if you win, you win the Pac-12 South. How do you guys go out there without maybe that being too big of a moment for you guys, too big of a stage? I don't think it's going to be a too big of a stage for anybody. Uh, like a lot of people have been saying, uh, we've, been to the, we've seen the bottom, and we don't really want to go back there. We, we like it. We like it where we are right now. And... Uh, we want to we want to prove that we can be Pac-12 champs. That's what uh, Coach Mack has been preaching the whole year, and uh, now we're in a we have an opportunity to do that, and we can win the Pac-12 South. And uh, once you get out there, though, you're just really thinking about it's just like practice almost. We rep it so many times. You're just thinking about the, the one play you're in, and uh, you don't really think about all the pressure. You just rather think about one play you're in. Fan base calls you J Mac on Twitter. You have quite a creative name on there, J Bo Swag and Baggins. You got to tell me the the backstory there. Uh, well, I was playing uh, Boulder High School in basketball okay. my senior year, and they started chanting Bilbo Baggins at me, uh, and I was just like, I, I took it and I ran with it, and I was like J Bo, that kind of goes, and then I just changed my name to J Bo Baggins, and then. Uh, they, they, the receivers always make fun of me. They say I have no swag and all that stuff. So I'd start calling me Jabo Swag and Baggins and like just you know kind of egging them on. But uh, that's kind of that's kind of gone with my friends and they all call me Jabo. Like every, everyone I know pretty much calls me Jabo now. And uh, it, it's J Mac or Jabo. And uh, it's pretty cool that it, it got to that. I didn't think it was gonna get to that. I just changed my Twitter name, joking around. And uh, now it's to the point where people on Twitter, fans are calling me Jabo Swag and Baggins. So it's pretty funny. Me and my brother get a get a good laugh about it but uh yeah thanks jay yeah no Appreciate problem it, man
Jaybo swag and baggins. What do you think, Tyler? I had uh, to get to the bottom of that. Nickname. Yeah, I didn't know what you were talking about when you said that to me. I actually did follow him on Twitter somehow, so I missed him. Uh, I follow him now, and uh, I wanted to know why he did that, and the answer is awesome. And uh, Neil Welk from CU actually told me a good story about Jay McIntyre after the uh, last game against Washington State. Mike McIntyre goes through talking about different players and what what they did in that game and, and uh, just kind of putting a, a light on their accomplishments. Of course, Nick Fisher getting praise from Mike McIntyre. He doesn't mention Jay McIntyre. And Cheverini comes running up there in front of the team. He's like, hold, hold, hold up. I know you're not going to do this, but we got to give a shout-out to Jay McIntyre. So he got uh, he got some love from his position coach there. Um, you heard Sefa Lufau say it at his Tuesday press conference, and I don't, this shouldn't be something that still needs to be brought up at this point, but clearly it does because of some of the mailbag questions we get, but he's earned his spot on this football team. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's at worst one of your top five wide receivers. Those are valuable pieces. He's been a guy who helped you on special teams. He doesn't even start a punt return, and he's still fourth in the conference in punt return average. Like, if he had to go back out there, he could get the job done. So, I mean, and he's, and he's a sophomore, right? I mean, he's got two right. more years in this program. If you don't think he deserves to be on the team at this point, I mean, <laughs> go get you some classes. <laughs> All right, let's do it, Tyler. Let's get into those power rankings. Yeah. All right, Arizona, number 12. Congrats. They've uh, given up at this point. It's pretty clear. Although, and they still awesome. have Arizona State on the schedule, and they could keep Arizona State from playing in a bowl game. Yeah, they're they not. need that's that's all the motivation you would think that team needs. They're not going to do it though. No, they're so <laughs> no, they're so bad. They're so bad. And honestly, I enjoy it. Not a big Arizona fan or Arizona State for that matter. But uh, Cal number eleven, Davis Webb, shout out. Really improving the program up there, Bob. Let's play those violins again. Yeah. Uh, Oregon State number ten, really good number ten. They smoked Arizona. Uh, they have two conference wins now. Three, two. I think they have not following Oregon, but they've been playing a ton of close games. I mean, almost beat Utah. They've had a lot of success. Honestly, I really like what they're doing. They remind me. I think I said this already. Colorado a couple years ago. They remind me. Uh Yeah. Um, So number nine, I have UCLA. Just kind of a dead duck as well. They show a little fight early on, but USC is just too good right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, USC is legit, but it's just it's it's hard for me to fathom how a team like UCLA can be this bad. They get five stars and four stars out their ass every week. you got to be able to find ways to be better. Kind of similar with Oregon. Big win, though, against Utah on the road. They have them number eight. They probably don't deserve to be that high, honestly, from winning one game, but the bottom half of the conference is not doing a whole lot right now. Uh, We'll see how that Oregon-Oregon State game goes. It could actually be kind of interesting. Uh, Seven, I have ASU. I really only have them at seven because they're capable of still making a bowl game. They have Arizona this week, so they could be the seventh team to get into the into a bowl from the Pac-12. We'll see how that works out for them. Are you rooting for that to happen or no? I think it's good for the conference. So, yes, I suppose so. Would that be like the Sun Bowl? Is that um, I mean, you know, it adds to our resume as well. At Vegas or Sun Bowl, I forget which one is last. I think Sun That's right. Is. That would be below, actually. The Sun Bowl, is, Sun Bowl is surprisingly high on that hierarchy. Of- yeah, I'm not sure. <clears throat> But, yeah, I mean, it's good for our resume. We have another team that's made a bowl game. So, yeah, I suppose for Colorado's playoff chances, it helps you to some degree. Uh, Utah at six. Can't lose to Cal and Oregon in the same year and uh, be successful. 
it's kind of crazy. They've had they've had a weird year. Won, won some games you didn't think they would. Had some crazy wins. I mean, they beat BYU because BYU went for two at the end of the game and didn't get it. Lost by one. They've had a lot of close games throughout the year. Uh, Stanford kind of moving up just by what Utah did last week. They haven't played a really tough schedule lately. Um, finished the season with Rice, which is so weird. But um, I, yeah, I do wonder how Stanford's season would have shaken out if they hadn't gotten decimated with injuries. Yeah, early. The hardest part of their schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, early, for sure. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, it's like a rebuilding year for them, and they're going to be 9-3. and three. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um Washington State sitting at number four. Uh, one through four is really tight-knit right now. I could definitely see Washington State winning at home against Washington and playing in the Pac-12 championship game. I was happy to see the committee leave them in the top 25 because watching them play, there are not 25 teams in the country better than them. So I thought that was a good job by the committee to not just look at the results and watch them play and be like, wow, that team is pretty talented. Uh, Washington, I have number three right now. Again, Close game in the Apple Cup. We'll see how that plays out. I think they are they have the best chance to make the uh, playoffs. They might even be the best team, but the teams ahead of them are obviously doing more right now. Uh, USC sitting at number two. Uh, probably the hottest team in the country right now. Big debate amongst the committee members and on ESPN about if they deserve to be higher. Can go back and forth on that. We probably will do it later to some degree, but... Uh, I think if you ask me who if they were one of the four best teams in the country right now, I would say yes. But you can't just ignore the fact that they lost three games. It's their own fault that they didn't start right. Sam Donald exactly. from the get-go. Yeah, so I, I think that they don't deserve to be in the playoffs at this point. Uh, but I think it's two different questions. And then Colorado, best team in the Pac-12 right now. Is this the first time you've Incredible. had their number one this year? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I don't. I think that's fair, honestly, for the most part. Uh, up until last week, they didn't have a big-time signature win. Obviously, the Stanford win is nice, but uh, it, they hadn't separated themselves. And I think this week they deserve to finally be up there and uh, have a chance to win another ranked game against Utah this week and uh, be in the Pac-12 championship game, which would be pretty awesome. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. Buff in Vegas asked, are your predictions for the Pac-12 championship game still the same as they were last week without CU in it? If you remember my reasoning behind thinking USC is going to win the South is the fact that they had... One game to win versus Colorado, they have two. Mm-hmm. Well, Colorado won that first game, and I'm going to pick them to beat Utah, so I would change my prediction. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I was more worried about Washington State. Uh, watching that game, I think you could see why. I mean, we were down at halftime, obviously dominated the second half, but they missed some opportunities to score <laughs> as well. Uh, that was a pretty close game, I think. Washington State is really talented, but yeah, I agree. I've always said from the beginning I'm not that scared of Utah. Yes, they can beat us, but between the two, the Washington State game scared me a ton more. So yes, I I, I will predict CU to be in the Pac-12 championship game now. And we both, I think, picked Washington. Now, I I bet it's a flip flip a coin type of game. I would maybe stick with the Huskies. It's going to be really close. Yeah, I do think Washington at the end is a more talented team. and I think I'm pulling for that as well in terms of Colorado needing to beat them for the playoffs. So uh, hopefully that's what we see. 
B. Wassman asked, what do you think our bowl outlook would be if we lose in the championship game? Washington to playoff? Will USC jump us? We were talking about this a little bit. Uh, you think that uh, USC is going to jump them. Yeah, so first off, the first part of the question, Washington to playoff, assuming they would have to get to the Pac-12 championship game to do this. Um, and yes, if they beat us in the Pac-12 championship game, I would be very disappointed if they were not in the playoffs based on where everybody else is sitting currently. Um, yes, I do think USC would jump us into the Rose Bowl. You can say it's unfair. You can say we're getting punished for losing a Pac-12 championship game. But you also have to realize USC won at Washington and also beat us. So there are other parts of their resume that make that a possibility. They're playing extremely well right now. Obviously, it's a home team for them. You know that they're going to be USC fans all over the place. And I think there would be for Colorado, too. I would be disappointed if it happens, but... Be aware, there's a very real possibility that that is the team that they would take in the Rose Bowl, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. I would just add, you know, to, to your point about it, it would be disappointing in the fact that you win your division and you're going to Alamo Bowl, not a bad bowl game, but yeah, you definitely want to have a better payoff for winning your division than that. Oli Buff asked, why has our pass rush been so anemic lately? Why can't our front three get better push to help collapse the pocket? I was looking back, Colorado actually had four sacks in the Arizona game. And for the season, they ranked fourth in the conference in sacks this season. Certainly, they struggled against Washington State in, in that regard. I don't know, was that Washington State's offensive line was just playing fantastic football? Was it where, where was the blame there? Honestly, to me, we didn't appear to be applying a ton of pressure on purpose because we were not having success getting to fuck. Um... Did you say fuck or falk? Falk. Well, I said fall. I don't know. Falk. Falk. Is that better? Um, if you're not going to get to him, why rush? You just have you just have less people defending the wide receivers out there. Um, so I think that was part of it as well. They did get to him when it mattered uh, at the end of the game, which is what you need, obviously. But yeah, I mean, he gets the ball out in a hurry and he's super accurate. I, there wasn't a whole lot of to be gained by rushing him I, it, at most parts of the game. It didn't seem like to me. It was funny that turnover streak uh, was in jeopardy there in the last four or five minutes. Yeah. And yet they somehow pull off two in the last few minutes. So that that's still running. Ralphie's running asked, we seem to win games when we can control the ground game. Do you see us having success there against Utah? Yeah, uh, I honestly think that we can. It seems like most of the times that they've struggled, people have punched them up front, being the, being the aggressors. Uh, you're going to see a lot of Bo Bisharat in this game, those QB runs. Everyone's like, oh, it's so obvious what's happening. It's like, well, that's true, but guess what? We're getting five yards on it when we need three on pretty much every single time we run the play. So until someone stops that consistently, you're going to keep seeing it. And I do think we can push them back, and you do not want to allow them to get to Cepho in the pocket. So we have to establish the run. Yeah, they, they rank third in the Pac-12 in run defense. Um, but it's it's not impenetrable. I mean, they're giving up more than four yards per rush in a game. And, uh, you know, Washington State statistically has the best rush defense at the conference, and Colorado put up 258 against them last week. Yeah, and five touchdowns. <laughs> so, Buff Predictor asked, where is the biggest area of concern versus Utah stopping their run game? Special teams, a pretty physical front seven. Um, a little bit of all, of all of the above there. Yeah, I mean, those are the three major um, areas of concern. I would say the biggest one, though, is the offensive side. So um, we 
we need to be able to move the ball on offense or our defense is going to get tired and then Joe Williams is going to run us over. I think that's how the arc, uh, you know, the, the pyramid goes there. We have to be able to have the ball on offense. So we have to be moving the ball, uh, having long sustained drives, scoring points, punishing them on defense, and then allowing our defense to stay fresh. I think that's the how things need to play out for us to be come out on top. Feel pretty good that if Colorado can score four touchdowns or more, that they'll win this football game. Mm. Golf pro buff had this comment: <laughs> How much more enjoyable has your job in journalism mean been this year? Kisla, what a douche! Adam been with you since two thousand and five, and my sub is firmly entrenched at the top of my budget. You do a great job. I appreciate your loyalty there. It's uh, definitely been more fun being a hashtag journalist uh, this this fall. Quotations journalist. Yeah, dude, that rubbed me the wrong way in the worst way. Oh, man. I just... What a bum, man. Such a bum. So I do a, a weekly spot, I think still. I don't know if this is going to continue forward, but on Saturday mornings with Michael Claw, real good guy. I actually did the show with him for a while. And they actually talk more than Broncos, which is kind of cool and refreshing to see in, in this town, of course. Mark Kisla is his current co-host, and I go on there the next morning, crickets uh, from his end. I th you would you, think he didn't say anything about it? Oh, my God, dude. He's so soft. Wouldn't you think somebody that... Uh, dude, he's the most behind-a-keyboard guy of all time. Oh, my God. He's, oh, that just makes it so much worse. You didn't tell me he didn't say anything to you about it. Oh, man. Mark Kisla, I hate you. You best not see me. Well, you'd think somebody that seemingly makes their living criticizing other people would have thicker skin than that. Right? Oh, yeah, of course. But, I mean, it always seems like they don't, though. Even sometimes I laugh at myself because I'm pretty critical at times, and sometimes I get pissed off about really dumb stuff. And I'm just like, really, if you're going to be the way you are, you're going to have to deal with it. What was, funny about, <laughs> what's funny about that whole exchange is that I was just kind of – I felt we were just having a debate, right? I didn't really take – as much as I could have taken some of the stuff you said personally, yeah. I really didn't, especially from the source of, of where it came from. But I was getting text messages from people who were like, dude, are you okay? I'm like, like I genuinely was not that upset about the whole thing. Good. Well, I mean, that's, that's you, though. I mean, that's honestly – that's why the bunch of people came to defend you because you're – I mean, you, you're more well-known around CU coverage than any of the dudes at the Denver Post. No offense to any of, anybody over there that isn't involved in this matter here. But, like, between that editor and Kisla, I was just like, okay, man, congrats. You're part of the reason that the Denver Post is failing, but keep running your mouth. But throughout that 24-hour stretch of kind of going back and forth with certain people over at the Denver Post, the only thing I regret a little bit is the fact that I tagged the actual writer than the Denver Post preps account because... I don't know. It could have been an editor saying, look, you got to chase the story. We're running with it. It might not have been his call. I don't know how it works over there. I mean, he could have just said that in response, and he literally said nothing. So I think he felt like, oops, I didn't really realize what I was doing here and didn't do the research to figure it out. If the Denver Post just saw nothing wrong with what they did and then saw the backlash and said, oh, look, we didn't realize this was going to be such a big deal, then I think people would have kind of, kind of laid off at oh, that Oh, for point. sure. All you do is apologize and people move on. That's fine. I mean, if you say you're ignorant to the fact that that's how it's done, okay. I mean, you should have known, but you didn't, and you apologize, so here we are. But to double down on it the way that they did, it's just like, it just solidified the fact to me that they deserved all that criticism. 
Right, exactly. Well, we'll move on again. I think that's that's it for the whole drama there that we uh, we can move on to other topics here. Golf Pro Buff also wanted to know, as as did uh, James SCH, they wanted an update on Evan White, which is actually something that I plan to do next week, so hold me to that, like the Scott team thing, which I still have not researched. <laughs> I'll get on it. I mean, come on. We're talking about Pac-12 South titles and college football playoff rankings right now. What, you have too much going on? Is that what the deal is here? That's weird. But I did actually, my first story, if I remember right, for Scott was actually on Evan White. I was down at 6-0 strength. And one of the things Matt McChesney talked to me about that day was that he was trying to get Evan White to gain some size not even realizing at that time that there might be a role for like you know, him maybe to slide into that Ryan Moeller role mm-hmm. on this defense. Yeah. I think he'd be a perfect fit for that, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. I think a role, Ryan Moeller's done a good job in that role as well, but being able to go back and forth between the two of them in that spot, uh, depending on the matchup, I think would be huge because Moeller obviously has some strengths that White does not and vice versa. Right. Wheeler2 asked, is Pookie Maka still planning to leave for a mission trip? Good question there. Another thing I'll have to check into. That was always the plan. I have not heard anything otherwise. And frankly, I don't think it would be a bad thing for him to do that and let his body mature a little bit. He's not going to be in a weight room, but he needs to thicken out a little bit. Yeah, he's skinny dude for sure. So uh, we'll move along here. St. Pete Buff asked, do you see a lot of leaders slash seniors on this team mentoring the younger players, showing them the hard work to make a year like 2016 possible? Making sure the foundation is in place in 2016 is not a one-year wonder. Several Lufau's comments at the Tuesday presser were basically the answer to this question. Sefo said that the freshmen on the team hate him right now because he's hard on them. And, uh, you know, it's little things like missing a study hall session that these upperclassmen are really on these younger guys about. And the good thing is you have guys like Philip Lindsay, George Frazier, Derek McCartney, Ryan Moeller. Those guys are going to be back. But at some point, those guys are going to have to take their own ownership of that. And Mm -hmm. that's something that each individual group has to come to that realization. uh, Who knows? I mean... You would yeah. think so. Yeah, the, the two position groups that I've seen that really have that family mentality are the DBs and wide receivers. Uh, the DBs, every single week they get together and huddle before the game, um, they're a family, and all those guys, you can talk about how Nick Fisher played in that game, they talk about how comfortable they are with him and that he just needs to gain more confidence and get more snaps. You hear that, the same thing with Anthony Jewel Meese. Um, they talk really highly of these kids, they want them to be special, and continue the success this program has had. Same thing with the wide receivers. People talk about Johnny Huntley all the time. KB Anento, even though he's a Juco guy, some of the younger guys on the team, um, they're making sure that these guys do work and get better because at some point they're going to graduate, go to the NFL. They need to have somebody that steps up and is just as successful as they were. Yeah, a good sign with this team is there, there's always guys that aren't going to be the most talkative with the media. You ask them about a question about themselves and you're going to get a really short answer. Kind of to your point, when you ask them about other guys on the team, all of a sudden they light up and they want to talk a lot, which that's that's something you can't just fake. That's yeah, I mean, true. On the sidelines, you could look at Cheeto and Tedrick any time, and I guarantee you they're talking to a younger dude on the team about what they need to do here. Nip is 13. I got a feeling that the players think Nick Fisher is really good, but he has been held to limited playing time because of his practice play. I know there are good players ahead of him on the depth chart, but dang, he stepped in and played like a starter immediately. Has Nick had practice issues that have been the reason for less PT, or is it just that the guys in front of him are that good? Do you think? Do you and Tyler think that Nick has a good chance to take Tedrick's spot next year? 
in the, all the open practices we've seen, Nick Fisher's looked really good, but that's a small sample size. Yeah, for sure. I, he's just depth right now. I mean, the, you look at the guys that we play in the secondary, there's not a lot of space for him to play. Um, Afo obviously has been the weak link, but he's still pretty good. I mean, to say that he's a bad player would be false. So uh, Nick Fisher will have his time next year. He's had his time with injuries, uh, people getting kicked out of games, et cetera, et cetera, this year. Uh, sometimes you have to wait your turn. It's not always necessarily a bad thing. And the thing that needs to be talked about with Nick Fisher is his versatility. Like Cheeto Beowuze, he can play nickel, safety, or corner and be good in any of those roles. Mm -hmm. So such a valuable piece because you don't know what spot you're going to get hit with injuries in, in the future. Nick Fisher will be on the field a ton. It just who knows where. I think it will come down to other guys and in, in injuries uh, maybe in that secondary. Yeah, he plays a ton on special teams already as well, and you can expect him to be a special teams leader in the future. SF Bay Buff asked, can you discuss who your offensive and defensive MVPs would be for the season? Also, discuss the biggest surprises on offense and defense based on your preseason expectations. Who you got for offensive MVP, Tyler? Philip Lindsay. Okay. Uh, Hard to argue ball, with that. Uh, huge year. Uh, it just seems like whenever we need to have a long sustained drive, that's who they ask to carry the rock. Uh, one of the most underrated running backs in the country right now, I would say. I'm going to go with Sefo Lufau just for the simple fact that CU has not lost a football game. He has started this season, and the Buffs were leading at Michigan when he got sidelined. And I actually have Philip Lindsay as one of my biggest surprises on offense just because uh, while we thought he would be their best running back, I don't think anybody really thought he was going to be. We did those bold predictions. Mm -hmm. No one was saying that he's going to be a 1,000-yard back this year. Um, and then I had Timmy Lenat as an, a biggest surprise on offense. Similar, we thought really positively about him. We talked him up a ton, but to see a redshirt freshman in his first year starting have the impact that he's had is pretty pretty remarkable. Yeah, I had him as well on my uh, on my list, and I also had Bryce Bowell. I think he's sure. a guy that weren't 100% sure how he was going to step in and replace Juwan Winfrey, who was injured. Had a lot of talent. We've seen it before, but hadn't seen the consistency. He's been fantastic this year in that role. All right, what about defensive MVP? That's tough. Really tough. Um, I would probably say Tedrick. Uh, ton of interceptions. Always seems like he's making the right play. But they're pretty much anybody in the secondary you could go with. Or Kenneth Ogbody. I mean, there's there's a million different answers. Tedrick just seems like kind of the general for them right now. Cheeto's more of a silent assassin type player. I'm actually going to go with Josh Tupo. Nice. I like that too. He's the, the guy that wasn't there last year that is this, mm -hmm. this year. The guy that makes Kenneth Olobode look like an all-conference guy. Kenneth Olobode, he's got 108 total tackles. 11, he's basically averaging 11 a game. How many tackles does Kenneth Olobode have if they don't have a very good nose tackle in there? Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely um, a guy that, you know, doesn't put up a huge stats or plays every snap or whatever, but he's probably the most important piece to what we do every single week. Surprises for defense, who you got there? Akello. It's got to be the only, yes. the only yes. answer. I mean, he's he's gone from being a guy who was starting that was really frustrating when he first came here to being one of the best cornerbacks in the country. We'll see how it translates to the NFL. I honestly don't care. I trust him to guard wide receiver as much as anybody I've watched play this year. He leads the conference in pass breakups and actually ranks third in the country in that category. It's hard to believe, actually, that two guys have more pass breakups than him. Yeah, I mean, I think people just don't throw it that much at him anymore, honestly. Uh, it seems like every time a ball gets thrown his way, he's, 
he's breaking it up. I would love to see if there's, I don't know if there's a stat that does that, compares your past breakups compared to how many attempts someone has thrown at you, but he's got to be, like, number one by a ton. Right. Virginia Beach Buff asked, I post in another thread, but this senior class was ranked 66th the year they came in to see you. What is it that has made this drastic jump, player retention, player development, new strength and conditioning coach, etc.? Basically, what should get more national pub regarding uh, what's helped this 66th ranked recruiting class have the success that it had? Uh, Well, first I want to apologize for not doing more research on this, and I promise that I will get back to you on the board with a more specific answer. Um, It's not just the 2013 class, though. I can say that for sure. But player retention is something that I have done several articles on in the past few years, and I've talked about how undervalued it is. So off the top of my head, I would tell you that that is a big part of it. Um, Having seniors on your team that play a ton of snaps is always going to make you a better football program. Uh, That will not change. You've seen that in the standings. We did correlation charts last year with the Pac-12 standings, and that's the same for every single team across the board. Um, So having seniors and guys who have played a ton of snaps is always going to be a huge indication of whether or not you're a talented football team, and uh, that won't change this year. And he also brought up player development. Of course, that's a big part of it. What he didn't include there in his little list of of reasons, which might have helped them have this drastic jump, is that uh, just eye for talent. And Mm -hmm. Mike McIntyre's staff was kind of at the cutting edge in terms of these satellite camps. And that's dating back all the way to San Jose State when they were getting in vans and going up and down California. That was a big key for them. Now you've gotten to the point as a program where you – don't have to turn over every rock. You don't have to find every hidden gem out there. So it's a little bit different now going forward. But to get to the point where they were now, they had to work harder than other coaching staffs did. Yeah, I feel like they've done a really, really good job in Northern California. People don't talk about that as much. And a lot of their studs are from the Pacific Northwest, shall we say, somewhere up in that portion of the country. Cheeto obviously coming over super underrated player, uh, Addison Gillum as well, has come back and been successful this year in, in that type of role. They've done a really nice job of finding themselves a home there and, and uh, where other programs have not uh, dipped into that pool as much, I would say. Is there anything, other parts of that that aren't getting any uh, national pub? I mean, that's pretty much kind of what it takes to coach up a, a 66th ranked Yeah, I mean, class. they obviously have really good coordinators, which is if you can find... I mean, you have to work with the talent you have on the team. Uh, if you're not capable of blending your style with what's best for the players on your roster, you're not going to be as successful. So I think Darren Cheverini and Jim Levitt have done, obviously, a pretty much perfect job of that as well. I guess you could also mention kind of the legwork of evaluating these kids' characters to get guys that when they're going to be upperclassmen are going to have the type of camaraderie mm-hmm. and leadership that this group does. Yeah, I mean, they've been through a ton together, so I think that builds that as well. You know, like they've been through the worst possible seasons you could imagine along this journey. So obviously that builds a lot of camaraderie as well. Just finally getting to that point where you can say that you did what you came here to do. They almost went through the worst possible seasons. They weren't here in 2012, most of these guys. <laughs> yeah, most of them weren't, yes. But they, that they came in after that year, which says a lot about their character as well. Dorn09 asked, Adam, when is the signing date for our early enrollees? Well, the signing period for mid-year junior college transfers began on December 14th, so that's where Shamar Hamilton or potentially a Javier Edwards or any other mid-year JC guys could sign begins on then uh, that date. In terms of the early enrollees for high school, 
you know, the, the Tyler Lytles, the Isaiah Lewis, Dante Sparacco, um, Jake Moretti, Jalen Jackson. I can't think of them. I think that's everybody right now. Yeah. Those guys, actually, and you saw Dante Sparacco actually sign some paperwork, scholarship mm-hmm. paperwork. Financially, yeah. But none of that stuff is binding until they enroll in early January. The spring semester at CU begins on January 11th. So that's the date. Anybody nervous with Tyler Lytle, circle that date on your calendar. Mm-hmm. Uh, CL34 asked, who are the remaining recruiting targets? This is one of those, again, we've had this a few times in recent weeks where we get a recruiting question where I say, let, let me answer that on, on the message board on Buff Stampede for our paying subscribers because that's... Uh, Skip the Browns question, man. Oh, yeah. Got to talk about the worst team in the NFL. Okay, here we go. Dorno and Hein asked, Adam, is there any doubt in your mind that Davis Webb will be the starting quarterback for Tyler's Browns next year? Well, I think there's a better chance of him playing for the Montreal Alouettes than for the Cleveland Brown next year. I don't think he's got NFL talent. Uh, I will say this. Hugh Jackson is a pro-set guy. Uh, and You can see what they did. he did with Cody Kessler, who everybody was like, why did you draft Cody Kessler? But he's actually been fairly good despite the fact that his offensive line is trying to get him killed so um, he's more of a pro style quarterback I think if the Browns do go with a quarterback option it won't be a guy like Davis well but it'll be someone they think translates more into that natural pro set you mentioned Kessler they have Kevin Hogan I think on the roster they yeah, like those Pac-12 guys yeah, a little bit, um, I guess. yeah I mean he's comfortable with those guys I think he's got connections out there uh, from his days in with the Raiders so um yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Honestly, I don't think they're going to take a quarterback number one overall this year. I don't think there's that guy. Trubisky's probably the best natural fit, but he's not worthy of the number one pick. I wouldn't say. I think they're going to take Miles Garrett, but they are going to have the number one pick. They're not going to win a game. This isn't going to happen. But if Davis Webb ever leads your Browns to the playoffs, can we get you a Davis Webb jersey? No. Yes. Yes, you can. Sure. <laughs> he, he. That's the only way he will redeem himself to me. All right, CT Buff asked, with about eight or nine spots left with this recruiting class, do you think there are players committed to staff wishes they had held on now that CU is red hot on the field and in buzz? I mean, probably, but that's they, how it plays out. They have the 20th ranked recruiting class in the country. Yeah, they're doing right pretty well, <laughs> I would say. I mean, yeah, I think there's, you know, at the end of the year, could they have gotten a guy um, that was better than somebody on this commit list? Probably. But every single team in the country could say that. Yeah. I don't think there's a ton of buyer's remorse. And no. There's part of it was we were thinking, can CU keep these guys when they initially committed? And it need, they needed to win football games to have the class that they have right now. Yeah. I mean, I think Shamar Hamilton and Carson Wells are like the two guys that people had the most concerns about. But I can tell you that Levitt loves Carson Wells. And... Um, Shamar fits a need. We need defensive end guys, and honestly, I, I don't know how good he's going to be. We haven't seen enough of him, but the staff certainly seems pretty comfortable that he's going to be a good player. Yeah, if the question was with one or two spots left at this point, there would maybe be some of that remorse, but eight or nine, you've still got quite a bit mm-hmm. of room there for, for guys. CT Buff also had this question, how many of the remaining spots will be best available versus position need? I think it's going to be mostly... You know, position need because you've got to find uh, a couple nose tackle types, some help on the D-line still, one more prep cornerback, and then maybe there's a couple spots for best available, but it's pretty certain that you need I to... I mean, I would, I would say it's going to be best available defensive player. 
just make it as simple as that. There's not going to be a whole lot of offensive guys left on the radar screen, I wouldn't say. They need a lot of defensive guys just by the pure fact that they're going to take all defensive guys. Most of those positional needs will also be fixed. In terms of offense, just uh, wait to find out where Josh Fall is going. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's really the main target you're still looking at there. So, I mean, you can expect the majority of the class to be filled out on defense. It uh, is an encouraging sign when you have a recruiting class and you turn away a guy like Casey Roddick. Oh, man. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't read the story about why he chose Cal. I saw that today, so I think Brandon Huffman posted it on Twitter. But I just, I was like, don't need to. <laughs> the answer is because Colorado didn't take him. <laughs> Call me Coach B asked, when was the last time the Buffs had two commits for the next year before their current class was already filled out? It's fun to be a Buff fan. They've had early commits like this before, but usually just one. Yeah, I don't remember two. It's usually always a Colorado kid, it seems like, as well, or a quarterback. Those are the only, like, super early guys that they've gotten. Um, it seems like a few of those super early guys end up not committing at the end of the year as well. I think a few years ago that Utah DN was our first commit, right, and he ended up not signing. I can't remember his name now. The dude had, like, 34 sacks. Oh, TJ Fajoko? Yeah. Right? Wasn't he our? I, I think, can't remember. I think he was our I, first commit. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't this early though. I know that yeah. much. Reed J. asked, "Any word on chances with Adrian Jackson for 2018? It seems he wasn't too interested, but the recent success he tweeted about the Buffs. So it seems he uh, seems our chances are improved. Have you heard anything new on him? And where would you put the chances of landing him? Yeah, Adrian Jackson went from." being too cool to not even tweeting out that he had a CU offer to now he's tweeting out CU edits and he's actually taking unofficial visits up to Boulder. So it seems like you have a chance now. That kid has an Ohio State offer. He's going to be really tough. But I say it all the time. It's harder to recruit in-state when you're struggling because those kids are so exposed right. to your struggles. When you're winning, it becomes the opposite. Mm -hmm. Jake Moretti, maybe Adrian Jackson, we'll see. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's, we're a top-ten team in the country right now. It's a lot easier to recruit these kids than it was last year. So uh, we'll see. I mean, yes, I don't remember who else he has offers from at this point, but he's definitely showing a lot more interest than he had in years past, and or months past, I guess I should say. And Jake Moretti coming over from Ohio State has to stick in the back of your mind as well. Ralphie's running asked me, when do you think Twitter will certify your handle? I'll say on the list of concerns I have in my life right now, it might be. <laughs> Uh, dead last. Um, I do. I do know. Actually, do know that Twitter will not usually um, certify you if you have if you don't have a company email address. Which means, like, I would have to be something at scout.com for some reason. I don't know why that is. I have a Yahoo email, email address which I need to get rid of because that is like the. Do you have a Yahoo? Yo, you have you have AOL. AOL yeah, man. Keeping it old school. At some point, isn't AOL just going to go disappear? And you're going to I hope so. But it's, I, it sends me my emails. Like I don't, I don't care. That's kind of how I am with Yahoo. Although their their site seems to like, if I do it on my desktop, seems to like really bog down everything. I'm not a fan of. Yeah, I just Yahoo. look at it on my phone, so it looks yeah. the same no matter what I use. You know, like I just don't understand why I'd switch over at this point. What if you go to AOL.com? What comes up? It's like a home page. They have, you know, it's like back in the day when you had AOL and some messenger. They have a sports tab. You can. It's just like Yahoo, but it looks different. As you can go to sports, it tells you the news. There's and, a mail tab. Okay, and is uh, but I don't ever look at it. <laughs> okay. 
DBW Buff asked, did someone instruct Tory Miller that it, it, it is his job to take three bad shots in the first minute after he enters a game? If not, why does he continue to do so? And why isn't this corrected? What you have at this, Tyler? I appreciate your tone. <laughs> no, honestly, I mean, yes, uh, I am continuously irritated by Tory Miller as well. Um, kind of for the same reason that people are irritated by Josh Fortune, I suppose. Um, he has not played well so far this year, and to, ma to make matters even worse, he's not making smart decisions either. Um, he doesn't take three bad shots in a minute typically, but most of the shots that he take aren't great looks. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't clear here, we've now transitioned from CU football to men's basketball. <laughs> and we're going to get some hot takes out of Tyler Ziskin now. No, I'm going to yell at people who have hot takes. Okay. That's what's going to happen now. C. Bardeen asked a question here. Bryce Peters looked good against Notre Dame. How much playing time and what role do you see him earning by Pac-12 season? Uh, the same one that he has right now, honestly, uh, if not even less because Dom Collier will be back. And if you haven't seen what Dom Collier brings to this team in the three games that he's missed, you're not going to. I mean, they need his shooting. Uh even even as a guy who turns the ball over a little bit, he is comfortable bringing the ball up the front court. I mean, if you could have Derek White and Dom Collier breaking that press last night versus Texas, you feel much better about our chances of doing that on a consistent basis. Uh, Bryce Peters has played well, uh, still takes some quick shots, going to turn the ball over a little bit as he gets used to this level, but he's crazy athletic. I mean, you have to feel really good about where he's going to be for this team down the line. But at this this season, he's going to be a guy who plays somewhere around 10 to 15 minutes a game. Yeah, he's 5 of 15 from the, the, the field this year. It is those glimpses of that athleticism mm -hmm. that I think it's it just so pleasing for your eyes to see that and you want to see more of it type of thing. Where you, I think that's where fans are going to maybe clamor for him over some other guys to get playing time for that, for that reason alone. DBW Buff had another question here. Similar tone. Just, just relax, Tyler. <laughs> Derek White shoots a lot of threes for a bad three-point shooter. Seems to be a glaring weakness in an overall good game. Do you think he will continue to shoot a lot of threes poorly? I looked it up. Derek White shot 33.6% in his last season at UCCS, uh, which would be better than uh, three Pac-12 teams in terms of their three-point percentage last season. And Spencer Dinwiddie actually shot basically the same percentage, 33% in his last full season with the Buffs from three-point range. So that 33.6% is not, is not great by any stretch, but it's not something to really uh, belabor too much. Thank you for putting that nicely. Did you look up how many threes he shot this year by any chance? This year, Derek White is 4 of 13 from three-point range. And actually, the timing on this question comes a little bit at a bad time. I think this might have come before he hit that really clutch three-pointer <laughs> late against Texas, which basically, that was at a moment where if Texas was going to make a run, they get a stop there, they might do it, but he kind of put the nail in the coffin with that shot. Here's the thing. He's not a bad three-point shooter. So let's start off with that. He's not a good three-point shooter, but he's not a bad three-point shooter. He also doesn't take a lot of threes. 13 in five games is like two and a half a game. It's not a lot of threes. So let's, let's, let's go with that as well. Um, why does he continue to do so? Um, yes, he's the point guard of this team and also is the closer. So, yes, he will be shooting more threes. Um, I'm not really sure 
why Derek White is the person that you have chosen to go after, given how he's played in the first five games of the year. And I will leave it at that. All right, Tyler. Buff Predictor asked, it seems CU B-Ball always drops an early game in the season like the loss to Notre Dame, and things turn out just fine. Stop panicking, people. So you mean basketball teams don't win all their games away from home? The snark level from... from Dude, it's just like, and he's, uh, he's actually agreeing with me here, so I'm sorry, Buff Predictor, like I understand that. You're on my team here. But yes, for like the 29th time, Colorado basketball will win roughly half of their games away from home. I think the uh, <laughs> the win over Texas was the first time Colorado had beaten a ranked team away from the Coors Event Center in nearly four years. Yes, yeah, since 2012 when they beat Oregon in possibly the worst game I've ever seen in my entire life. I think it was like 49 to 47. I was working at Blake Street, I remember it. Um, yeah, but honestly, to seriously answer the question, yes, it will be fine. Yes, it's very hard to win on the road in college basketball. Just ask Indiana. If you didn't know, they lost to Fort Wayne last night. So, come on, everybody. Not everybody in the country is smoking everybody by 50. Everyone has struggles early in the year. It will be okay, I promise. And there could be a, a case to be made that that Notre Dame game was something that this team needed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there was just, it was like when they finally woke up, it was like, okay, you saw the talent of this team show up in that game. And Notre Dame is better than people have given them credit for as well. I mean, I've watched a ton of basketball over the past two weeks. People were really concerned about their guard play this year. Their guards are nice. They're scrappy as uh, heck. Yeah. They're going to be a pretty good team in a really, really good league in the ACC. Uh, they beat a good Northwestern team as well. Who had, They were like, oh, they were 3-2. and two. It's like, yeah, they lost at Butler by 2 and to Notre Dame. Northwestern's a good team as well. Uh, yes, we did not play well in the first half. Yes, it was frustrating. Notre Dame is a good basketball team, and that was a lesson that Tad has been waiting to show his team all year. If we defend and rebound the way we played against Texas, we're going to win a ton of basketball games. No Ho Buff 05 had this comment. I attend the Maui Invitational each year and spoke to a Pac-12 official yesterday who said teams are voted in. Do you know how slash where and who votes? Seems crazy that from 2011 to 2018, only five teams from the Pac-12 will be represented in the tournament. I have honestly no idea that's news to me. Thanks for mentioning this, no ho buff, because uh, I had no idea that, that it was actually voted in for the Maui Invitational. Yeah, it's actually really cool. Uh, I didn't know that as well. I will say this, those teams are all on the West Coast, so it's easier to get to Hawaii. Um, so that matters. Um, and for those that are a little bit more difficult of a travel, they've been good. So that helps as well. Colorado is kind of on the cusp there, but it's a longer trip for us. Um, and a lot of those teams in that stretch have been to the tournament multiple times. In fact, all of them have been to the tournament multiple times. Uh, CU has obviously as well, so you would think they would, they would find themselves on that list too. But it's possible that they also turned it down. Maybe they wanted to go to a different tournament. I'm not sure. You know, the last time they played in that was, I think, 2010. Actually, yeah, it was. And... It's kind of an interesting story here is that when Mike Bone leaves to go support the team out there and represent the university, Dan Hawkins, in his mind, is getting fired. Dan Hawkins goes behind his back, meets with Bruce Benson and Phil DiStefano. By the time Mike Bone touches back in the States, he's basically told that Dan Hawkins is getting a fifth year. 
So that's that's my memory of the my master, last memory of the Maui Invitational <laughs> is that it happened yeah. right around that time. Yep. And I remember it was a, it was about Thanksgiving, maybe a day before or after I can't remember, where Mike Bone came out and announced that Hawkins was getting that fifth year. That was not one of those stories that I I remember uh, with fond, with fond memories. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just looking at the list again here. Colorado's probably the only team not included that's good enough to play in this tournament, if that makes any sense, outside of maybe Washington. At some point along the way, Washington would be in here as well, you would have said. But, I mean, Oregon State, Arizona State, um, Utah has been good the last two years, I guess. But um, I'm sure there's a little bit of a delay in when teams get invited as well. So CU was 1-1 one one in Brooklyn. Tyler, would you have taken that going in, knowing a win – one of those wins, or, or that win, I, I should say, would come against a ranked opponent. Of course. That's what I expected to happen. We do, we talk, I do the schedule breakdown every year as part of my podcast, or uh, feeds, I guess. Um, we're writing articles for you at the beginning of the year, and that's what I said. You come out with a, a split, you're in good shape there. Uh, going 0-2, not great. Going 2-0, you're going to come out ranked. Um, and that's still how I feel. Obviously, we had a chance to win the game. We didn't. Uh, took care of Texas. Texas is, let me clarify, not they are a ranked team, but they're not one of the 25 best teams in the country. They're going to struggle a little bit this year. They're pretty young. Uh, it was a game we needed, but it kind of was like a false looks good on the resume type thing. Like we, you know, somewhere on a graphic, we're going to be like, oh, we beat Texas when they were ranked back in the day, but we'll see. Texas is probably going to be a middle of the road Big 12 team this year. Um, but yeah, of course. I mean, you have to take that going in again. If you split on the road. For the entire year, you are in better shape than every single team on the bubble. Speaking of those two games out in Brooklyn, I think the first thing you've got to mention is George King. and He went ham on the boards, Tyler, in Brooklyn. 26 rebounds in two games. Yeah. He's always had that potential, just wasn't always his focus. He's a ridiculous athlete, and this is why people who follow the program closely have asked for him to be more aggressive time and time again, because he's fully capable of doing this every single night. Uh, he's been much more engaged defensively, attacking the glass, even on offense. I'd like to see him finish stronger at the rim because he does have that same athleticism, obviously, on the other end of the court. He's got to go up and put the ball through the net with authority. Goes up soft sometimes, so he'll work on that. I mean, he got he finished strong at the very end of that Notre Dame game after getting blocked on one he should have dunked earlier. Uh, so he'll continue to get better there, but yeah, I mean, he's got to use his athleticism. He's a freak athlete. We need him to rebound the ball. Smaller team this year. To, you know, Tad's getting to him, you can tell. And he's not great defensively at times, but he's working harder, and that's all you can ask. Derek White, obviously, has been the, the primary ball handler early on this season. Has his ability in that role been what you kind of would have expected? Yeah, I mean, we talked about early in the year that if our guards struggle, he's going to be the guy that takes the ball off the court. And obviously, Dom got hurt. Tom Sakizili is struggling, so you have seen him carry a lot of the load. Um yeah, he's, we talked about how he's going to be able to create for others. He gets into the paint with patience. You have seen all of that so far this year. Um, he's getting used to obviously having to finish against better players. Uh, I think that would get even better over time, which is scary for everybody else because he is extremely talented, looks extremely comfortable no matter where he is on the floor. The one thing that I would say about him that's been super impressive is defensively he is already much better than I thought he was going to be. I was concerned about him being able to guard at this level. He's blocking shots, getting steals, staying in front of his man, playing smart team defense. He's been terrific. We did our top buffs countdown in our preseason episode. 
don't have a lot of regrets with anything we really said during that show, except for I have one uh, strong regret, and that's having Wesley Gordon ranked number one on that list. I had cited that I, I thought with Josh got gone that Wesley Gordon would really step up to the challenge. I know it's only five games, but there's a little bit of a, a panic button to push here with him, right? Yeah, I mean, there is offensively, obviously. Uh, I, I still <laughs> I say this about Josh Fortune, too, that the staff needs to get him in better positions, and he needs to put himself in better positions. And I say the same thing about Wes. Putting him on the right block, forcing him to go left and t- turn a left-handed jump hook in the lane. It's, he's, he can't do it. So why we continue to give him the ball there, I have no idea. Every time he gets the ball in the post, he should be turning middle to his strong hand. I have not seen anybody stop it once this year. Torrey Miller is the exact same way. He should be doing that every time he touches the ball. Um, and he's got to take more wide-open J's. Uh, that's what he is capable of doing. He has been he's struggled so far. Defensively, um, obviously Notre Dame was in foul trouble, so that hurt us. He looked really good against Texas, I thought, for the most part, against a team that was a lot bigger than us. Our defense looks a lot better with him out there. He does a lot of things that people don't see because it's hard to follow all five people on the court. Uh, he's important to us, but he's not going to be a guy who takes over games offensively at this point, obviously. Tyler, what encourages you most, in, in conversely, what discourages you most about this basketball team after those first five games? Uh, what encourages me most is that I don't think we've played well yet, and we're sitting at 4-1 and one and held serve based on where we thought we would be. Um, I had us going 4-1 and one through the first five games, and that's where we are. Um, so there's a potential for us to get a lot better. I would say my, our team defense has been far better than I expected so far out of the first half against Notre Dame. Um, they look really good. They look like they're working hard. Rebounding has probably been the biggest concern for me so far, but they looked great against Texas, who's bigger than them. So we'll see if that gets corrected. Maybe Tad is getting to them. Uh, Discouraging-wise are the rest of our guards besides Derek White. Dom being out is really going to hurt us. Thomas Akizili, honestly, I think it's been better than people have given him credit for, but he can't make a shot. At some point, you got to be able to hit the ball, uh, hit, hit a shot, um, Pressing a little bit right now, too. Not as smart with the ball as he has been uh, because of that fact, I would assume. So, And defensively, he's struggling, too. Uh, Bryce Peters, obviously, we'll see if he continues to get comfortable. I think he can help there. DeLeon Brown, I wish played more. I really like him. So I'd like to see him play some more minutes. Um, but overall, nothing crazy, super encouraging or discouraging to me. It's still early. They play Wofford at home on Sunday and then CSU in Boulder next week. You did the whole schedule breakdown. What can CU fans expect uh, from both these teams? Uh, Wofford is going to be the best team you've never heard of that we've played so far, if that makes sense. Um, Probably going to finish top 200 in the RPI. They've had some success in the NCAA tournament. They're very good in their league, typically. Uh, They also have a kid from Colorado on their team, Eric Garcia. So be on the lookout for him. Give him a little support. It's always cool when these kids get to come back and play in their home state. Um, Yeah, CSU obviously has looked way better than I expected so far, especially with uh, their best player being out indefinitely. Um, they have a bunch of JUCO transfers, guys that, you'll, that will look new. Um, but I, I think both of those are games that will be solid for our resume come March. Uh, probably neither of them are going to be top 100 RPI wins, but help your overall over our RPI schedule because they'll be somewhere in the 150s. Well, we're taping this on Wednesday. Of course, Thanksgiving's tomorrow. A lot for Buffs fans to be thankful uh, for this yeah. this year. Yeah, definitely. It's been a long time of pain. It's really given us a whole lot to talk about in one year. Uh, 
I guess if you just hold out long enough, good things can happen to you for sure. Uh, I, I know that too as a Cleveland fan. So it's been a heck of a year for me. Um, I'll have to have one more drumstick for whoever's helping me out this year. So I appreciate you out there, whoever you may be. What's your favorite part of the traditional Thanksgiving meal? Uh, the actual meal? I would probably say, this is probably lame, but I would say stuffing. Um, for My mom just makes an incredible stuffing. I don't know if everybody is that way, but... Stuffing stuff. is something that you can easily screw up, or if you make it right, can be pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah and I already talked about at the beginning of the show about my thoughts on turkey. So if you want if you want some good turkey, come find, go find my mom. Although she's in Australia right now, which is why I'm not going home. So rough life for her. Yeah, so I'm not getting the Thanksgiving dinner this year. Maybe I'll make her cook one for me if I come home later in the year. That'd be awesome. Well, I'm always the rock star at Thanksgiving dinner because I make, uh, it's a family recipe, uh, Dr. Mashed Potatoes. And uh, if you want to be a rock star at your uh, Thanksgiving meal, email me. I'll send you the recipe. Nice. I'll try money. it out. Sounds good. I've been trying to cook a little bit lately. All right. I don't know if I'll do it for Thanksgiving, but I'll try it in general. My dad makes an Oreo pie, too, that is ballin'. Cranberry's got to be the my least favorite part of it. Or yeah. that, that, that pudding that like some people make and it just sits there and no one touches. I'm a big pie hater. Don't like pie. So Oreo like Oreo pie is basically ice cream. But like actual pie, apple pie, pumpkin pie, no. No. It's the worst dessert. Pumpkin pie with some whipped cream on it. You don't uh, like that? I mean it's fine. You'll eat it? Yeah. But it's the worst dessert. Alright, well we've talked long enough. Are there any loose ends that need to be tied here, oh, man, Tyler? Go Buffs. This has been fun. This is so much more to talk about when you're good. It's great. Love it. All right. Well, happy Thanksgiving to all of you out there. Thanks for uh, sitting through this really long podcast. Appreciate <laughs> yeah, it. Happy Thanksgiving.